All right, everybody. Good evening. The Jimmy Palumbo Show. Show number 15. That's right. Here at the Chop Sports Network. The Jimmy Palumbo Show live from downtown Matawan. Not quite downtown. We are in downtown Matawan. It's actually kind of nice. We're on a stretch of Matawan. A little more rural. A little more rural. It's like where you go. Like You ever see those bad like horror films when the people die in the beginning? That's the stretch of Route 34 that are here. Um after six o'clock, nothing's open. You can't get a, a water anywhere. You can, if, like if you break down, your car breaks down here, you get people come out of the woods and you die in, in the horror film. But we are here in Matawan, New Jersey, Chop Sports Network Studios, which is awesome. And we are here for show number 15. And I have decided show number 15 will be the Jeff Hostetler Show. That's right. Jeff Hostetler won a huge Super Bowl with the Giants. Probably top five or six, not really that great quarterbacks to win a Super Bowl. You can yeah. make the argument. Yeah. Um, he was a great college player, but, you know, backup quarterback. Sims got hurt and he won the damn thing. Um, the other quarterbacks, I know you guys said, were Johnson, Dilfer. Yeah, Foles. you got like a Mark Rippin on there. You yeah. got Nick, he said Foles. I think Rippin started for about seven years. I yeah, think. but was Hostetler he, was really he great? I mean, Hostetler no. went and started for the Raiders, but he, he, it took a Super Bowl right. for him to go there. Yeah, and then he right. ended up getting beat out by like Jay Schrader or something, right. something so. awful like yeah. that. But yes, yeah, the Jeff Hostetler show, but he'll always be near and dear in my heart. Um, what number are you going to go with? I mean, I got to go with Bart Starr. I know that it's kind of not okay. allowed. Well, but the, the first of all, there's the factors. You're a Packer fan. Your dad's a Packer fan, and it's Father's Day. But so I think it's, Bart Starr. I think if we went up to a hundred kids in the mall right now and said. Have you heard of Bart Starr? Less than half would know that, and the other half wouldn't know what his number is. Yeah. So I would say, in this case, Bart Starr is okay to use. I, I did write it down. But we can't go with Mahomes or, of course, Tim Tebow, which we decided not to get near, even though Tim Tebow's number 15 jerseys have outsold, including Bart Starr's. Um, but we also could have went with some Yankee greats, Tommy Hendrick, Red Ruffing, and I think Red Ruffing has a... Um, like 260 complete games. 267. He's got more complete games than he does losses. That's so, crazy. Also, or no, uh, more more complete games than wins. So it means he's got a lot of losses in there. Yeah, that are, he's, yeah. he's, he's an innings guy. Different time. Also, another pitcher my dad used to love, Tom Tresh. And, uh, of course, the Philadelphia 76er great, Hal Greer. So if some guy's 65 years old, he's probably driving off the road. I'm, the fact that I'm mentioning Hal Greer. But that's it. Show number 15. So a couple of things. Let's see. I played golf on Friday. Uh, my fraternity alumni association gang got together. Uh, one guy pretty much ran this uh, this big thing in Chatham, New Jersey. We played golf. Now I thought it was going to be guys my age, but it was guys a little bit older. So it was like class of I'm class of eighty seven. This was like class of eighty four. Um, but golf to me, I, you know what? I, I'm just I, I don't. I have lousy equipment. I play like a softball player hitting the ball. The only thing I do well, I have the ability to hit a, bombs off the tee, like deep. Even when I hit them foul, they're way foul. Yeah. Um, but the rest of my game, uh, we, we had a scramble, so there's all kind of rules how many drives you could use. I'm a driving range guy, too. Okay. That's about it. Um, I don't even go to the driving range. I just I could hit bombs off the tee. I, three shots I hit were like deep, dead center field bombs out of the ballpark. But to be honest, I didn't. I didn't make contact with the iron. Like I, I, I was. I had twelve foot putts, and then if it wasn't a scramble, I would have had ten feet coming back. Like I don't. This game is so difficult. Like even like we had a couple of four foot putts, and they made me go first. I figured, all right, whoever makes the first one, you stop. I didn't like. 
I was four inches away, like, you know what I'm saying? A four-foot putt, and it went, as soon as I hit it, it had no chance of going in. Like, it was, I guess I was looking the wrong way, my feet were wrong, just horrible. Boy, I played with a foursome where just about everybody stunk, except for the one guy who ran it. But he plays this course twice a week for the last six, 17 years. And I didn't think, if I played in one course... Twice a week for 17 years. I, it probably plays four times a week. Who's he kidding? It would be like you going to play at Warren Park. At Warren Park. Right? Yeah. Johnny Trino going to Warren Park. You know, he's like, But he wasn't carrying us the way I really was. Of course, once I realized that, he said, oh, I'm not playing well. I started razzing him. But meanwhile, I, we, we all were awful. But then he started to play actually pretty good. Um, but I couldn't let him. We can't tell him that. That's, that ruins the joke. But one guy was playing horrible all, all, all game. And uh, but he hit a monster thirty-five foot putt off the pin, dropped right in, and so I kept on saying like, "Oh my God, you carried us that hole." Meanwhile, the other guy, we used his drive, we used his second shot, we used his third shot, but he didn't sink the thirty-five foot putt. Um, but it was a good time seeing so guys. Could the four of you collectively get one birdie throughout the entire eighteen? You know what? I I should probably know this. I think maybe we got three birdies. That oh, was yeah. it. More than uh, I expected. Maybe two either. even. Uh, most of them were pars and a bunch of bogeys. Um, but he they had very tight rules, which that's the way to do it. Otherwise, if you have one good guy, you just use his ball all the time. So they eliminated all that. But I was. Awesome. It's kind of like co-ed softball. And matter yes, like with chop sports plays. I um, you know, it's really like I actually. This is how how depressing it was. I was so bad. I live like two minutes from a golf course. Uh, up by me in Mawa, and I'm like, I'm gonna go. I, I'm gonna go play by myself within the next two weeks. Like, I have to see. Like, am I this bad of a golfer? It wasn't just a guy who doesn't golf. I wasn't doing anything remotely well. And then, of course, I, I get home, and uh, but hey, thanks out to my buddy for running the whole thing. I'm not gonna mention his name. He's a fan of the show. He'll listen and probably yell at me. He actually golfed pretty well at the end, but we, I just still didn't want to give it to him. But. um the uh, it was a good time. It was good to see the old gang, my old Kappa Sig buddies. I haven't seen in a long time, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And then I got home and watched the U.S. Open, and it's so funny. You can't play golf and then watch the U.S. Open because you realize if you feel lousy about yourself, now you feel like triple lousy. I can't believe it should be like there should be documentaries on the casualness of how good these golfers are. Some of the guys like the announcers, like oh he's had a rough day today, and I'm like. Like, cause he was three over par or four over par. Meanwhile, that means he pretty much, he, he, uh, you know, he, uh, uh, he birdied no holes, bogeyed three times. It was par the rest. Like, and you have to do it for four days with guys who were right. Like if you're three, three, uh, three strokes back on Friday or Saturday, like that's nothing. You know what I mean? You could shoot a 68, a 67, a 66. Um, it, it's just amazing how good these golfers are and outside of tiger like that's why tiger he won it so often that it's incredible he came in the top three all the time it's you see now guys come in first and they they don't make the cut they come in 10th they come in 30th because everyone you're seeing a generation now of golfers that grew up with tiger being the guy and now you got athletes that are golfing there's a lot i think i think the problem with golf is everybody's too good yeah i same thing with uh tennis i've always said with the guys at the top tier men's tennis um, when they're on, you don't win. You, you lose six two, six two, six two. The matches an hour. That's how good they are. Their serves are 190 miles an hour. It's almost like they're in shape. They're ready to go. It's it's incredible. Um, but when you watch it after, but then I have to listen to DeChambeau, um, 
or DeShambo, whatever his name is, talking about how I got a little unlucky in the back nine. I'm like, a little unlucky. Why can't you just say, hey, man, I had a chance to win the U.S. Open, and I shit the bed on the back nine. If he was playing with me in my scramble for Kapasig, we would have been ripping on him at the bar afterwards. Like, dude, you had it one, and he hit, I think he hit four bogeys in the last nine. That's not unlucky. Well, my lie, where the lie was, as soon as like you, you hit talking, it there, yeah, like you start talking about lies. The average slob drinking a beer at home is like, no, you sucked the back nine. If he just would have said that, walked away, everybody would have loved him. Um, so I think he choked. That's what I. That's what I think. The other thing is, I started going back to the gym. Um, why are you laughing? That's that's not nearly <laughs> that. You found that funny. You found, see, I say I went to the gym and people laugh. Yes, I I, I have a gym. I wasn't laughing. I smirked because no, it wasn't, you know it, you you didn't even laugh. But your whole every all your DNA of your face totally uh, was laughing at me, laughing at me. But the good news is, uh, no one wears masks now. You can go in without a mask. And I finally get to see who the chicks are at the gym, which is fun. Uh, of course, one of them, who I always thought was pretty, actually turned out to be about 65 years old. And everybody else is probably 23, 25, and way too old for me. And I shouldn't be creepily staring at him. But um, I go to one of those gyms where it's part of a hospital. So I would say the average age in the gym is 77. And most of them have heart issues. And there I am running around like a slob. It's so bad. But it's nice to have everybody without masks. I actually walked to the gym today, got my exercise in, and then I hit the gym. I did my thing. Um, I got to start getting in shape because it's affecting my softball, which I'm semi-retired now, but um, I know it's very sad when you play for Chop Sports Network and you're not hitting well, but worse is the owners of Chop Sports Network who are sitting in the room staring at me right now are now calling me a clubhouse guy. The clubhouse, clubhouse guy. guy. We're going to get you a t-shirt made. And the reason is, the reason is, that's not too far Chubba, off either. Chubba, yeah. The, uh, the reason is, um, Chop Sports Network has a softball team. It's co-ed, which right away is like, means you're a loser. And their record is seven and seven going into the playoffs. But ESPN broke it down. What, what's, the record of the team without me is 0-7, and, and they're 7-0 and with me. And it got to the point where I was late for the first game. I step out of the car. The other team has six yeah, runs. You're getting we smoked. We split a doubleheader, and then and the then, first game we lose. Because I'm not there. Because you're not there. Then I hop in, and we have a comeback win. I had really nothing to do with it, but I'm in a clubhouse guy. I'm sitting there talking to your parents and girlfriends. It's, it's obnoxious. Um, but I did hit the ball hard a couple of times. I'm feeling it. I, I'll have a big, if I make the playoff roster right now, ESPN is saying there's no, I may not make the playoff roster, which is so bad because I'm your second best outfielder. No doubt. A third best, I guess. But there's only four of us. So that means I'm not that good anyway. You're but not the girl. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not the girl. Yeah. But I'm just, I could play any position in the outfield and no, you're not going to lose anything. And, um, course it's co-ed which means girl guy girl guy so if you're a guy you really get up once and then an hour and a half later you get your second at bat um so it's, if you're a girl it's good to play co-ed and for a guy it's a nightmare and plus you end up flirting with the girls and some of the girls are drinking vodka um and i'm like <laughs> okay, i don't mind having a bud can during the game but like, like a handle of tito's on our bench it's like, what the fuck? i'm not talking about the one that goes in your back pocket i'm talking about like the handle yeah the one, handle you know? come on yeah. now um but uh, we did have a big comeback win, which was fun. And um, also, uh, what else we got? So well, I'll find out if I made the playoff roster on Thursday, weather permitting. Uh, also, uh, what do we got? So, well, baseball, really quick thing on baseball. Um, 
couple of things. Uh, right now, they're they're doing some stuff with Degrom, and they're checking his uh, his inside pants. Is they're making Degrom strip down on the mound practically? Which to me, just go to use do it the second game in a doubleheader. Don't don't go to Degrom. How bush league is that? Like, come on, you know, um, I, just give the guy a break. But the other thing is, I learned the other day. Probably Joe West, and you guys probably know this. You know the whole thing with each year with the baseballs and stuff like that. Uh, whether they're they're wound too tight, too loose, whatever. I think in order to solve the problem, I know Major League Baseball owns Rawlings now, so like it, they control the baseball. I think they have to, just like they do in the NFL for the most part, they have to standardize the baseball. Get get like 20 guys in a room, Hall of Famers, rookies, get some A-ball coaches, get some stud baseball guys in a room in the offseason and come up, go to the batting cages and come up with exact specs to give a machine probably in China to make the baseball and that's it. You start changing the baseball each year to year. That is like, you can't do that. Now, you can allow the sticky stuff on your hands. You can allow there's some video cheating going on, all that stuff. You can catch them on that. But like the baseball has to stay. Otherwise, why not make the bases 92 feet? Why not make it 88 feet? Why not Why not have the walls get rid of some of the wall? Why not, the why not put a, a runner on second in extra innings? Oh, wait, right. they do that already, which okay. is pathetic. <laughs> but the point is the baseball has to be. No, I agree. You know, in other words, the argument with the baseball to me is they should use aluminum bats then. Well, What's the difference? Well, the argument that I'll Changing make, the, the argument with the, the baseball that I'll make is that They've been doing this sticky substance thing for pretty much the dawn of time since baseball started. And now all of a sudden, it's become an issue because Major League Baseball doctored the ball to make it a little bit harder for hitters to get out. I don't know what, what they did, but it's it's a dead ball now is what they're saying. So now the hitters are dealing with a dead ball, the shift, and a sticky substance. And the only thing that they could control is the sticky substance. So right. now they're complaining. Yeah, I And when I say the hitters, I mean one hitter. But, but the big thing is the baseball itself has to be standardized. And and there should be like an individual testing thing, consumer reports. Here's the baseball, and and believe me, they have specs how tight the stitches are, the core of the ball. Come up with a with a algorithm of what the baseball is, and that's it. And then from there, if there's other cheating going on, you figure it out. But like the baseball has to remain the same. The other thing is the Yankee game yesterday ended on a on, on what I call a pure triple play, ground, you know, like literally ground ball to third, step on third. Throw to second, fire to first. I mean, only since 2009 has that ever happened. I don't recall ever seeing a game end that way. Yeah, I've never seen a Yankee game, man. I don't really watch other games, but right. I've never uh, seen a Yankee why? game end that the way. Yankees but have, what, three this three year? Three this year. They tied Crazy. Major League record for three. They have two this week. I mean, Jimmy. that's like, we're like, they're being like the Johnny Vandermeer of triple plays. Um, but that was incredible to see that. Uh, basketball, quick news. Obviously, the Nets getting beat. That was brutal for Net fans. Um, my nephew's a Nets fan. John Henry was is uh, my uh, nephew, but I, I, they're just they were hard to root for with Kyrie and the injuries and Harden and all these great players. I, I just couldn't really, I, my heart wasn't into them winning, but it was a tight game. But again, I'm 56 years old. I thought it was bad basketball in the last seven minutes. Poor coaching, uh, poor possessions. Uh, isolation on each play. Hey, Harden, you take it. No, give it to me. I'll take it. It wasn't like Durant. There was and no Harden, ball movement. No it wasn't like movement. watching the Spurs even right. ten years ago and, when they were passing the ball right. around. Uh, and it was just. Uh, but I guess people maybe don't feel that way. Uh, I do. And plus, three pointer or not three point. And guys were hitting threes that like. I don't know. There's something about the NBA game when literally every player like. on the court has the ability to shoot a three. 
you got Brooke Lopez who made three three pointers. I'm like, right. shouldn't he be down low? Yeah, I know. What is <laughs> that know? all about? Hey, anyway, so that that annoyed my soul. But the Hawks, of course, they beat uh, Philly, and I was happy about that because a lot of Knicks fans hate the Hawks, but I don't. I always I felt the Knicks there's were. A, there's a growing sentiment around Knicks Nation where. It like, makes their loss, like feel, you said, it feel does. a little it bit feels better. A little bit better because we ran into a team that's playing. The Hawks really are a well. good team. They're Hawks not just playing really well; they're constructed really well. And, and the last, I believe, their last thirty games, they might have been like twenty-two and eight or twenty and ten. Yeah, the Hawks are. They're so there. the Hawks are not just a flash in the pan based upon the last thirty-five, no, thirty-eight games. So that's like half a season. Um, but that guy Trey Young, look, I, I don't even hate him. I, he he's just uh, he's good. Yeah. You know, he's he's like a poor man's uh, Curry. Um, maybe a, even better slash into the hole. I don't know, that floater. 30-year-old Jimmy Palumbo hates Trey Young. Yeah, uh, yes, I get it. I, I, he's like Reggie Miller. You hated Reggie Miller. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't hate him for some Maybe I will next year if we play him again. He beats us again. Yeah. But uh, and he, and he in the interviews he doesn't sound. I know he said a couple of dumb things when the Knicks were playing him. I but, mean, he got spit at. Right. Yeah. But I also, which you know, that's bad. But I also think he's like he kind of like he's embracing the whole, like he waves to the fans. Like I think that's a cool thing. I think he's going to be a really big star in the league, and good for him. And um, and that's it. So the Hawks win, the Nets lose, and uh, the Clippers. The Clippers are, you know, listen, the Suns have been great all year, and they beat the, uh, you know, they beat the Clippers without Chris Paul, which I don't get this protocol thing. Um, I'll never understand any of that. Um, but hopefully, uh, you know, it'll be one of those situations where whatever team wins, I won't hate. But I think I'm going to root for, I'm rooting for the Hawks. I'm going to go with the Hawks for now. I'm gonna go with the Bucks because I'm a Packer fan, and I just in want, terms of rooting. Yeah, like I, I'm gonna go. With, I want the Bucks to win because of the allegiance. Now if with you the, had to bet, who would you bet? Phoenix. They're the, they're the best team by far right okay. now. Okay, uh, that's fair enough. I, I, I would agree. We actually agree on something on that. So, all right, we'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Sturge from Chop Sports, and I want to talk to you about a new hobby of mine, and that's real estate. Ever since we brought on our resident realtor here at Chop Sports, that's all I can think about. So we got another one. You know who's really good at this stuff? Jay Devlin of CRG Homes. Jay is out of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and business is booming. Whether you're looking to relocate, buy, rent, or literally purchase property and watch your stacks get higher, Jay is the guy to do this for you. He's already in the process of helping me out right now on a possible summer home. Call Jay right now, 843 843- 315-5913 and have yourself a chat and learn about all the perks and tell them Chop Sports sent you. All right, kids. Now it's time for really one of my favorite parts of the Jimmy Palumbo show. That's right. It's Jimmy's Bookings, which is by far the worst named segment in the history of podcasts. As a matter of fact, I think I, I'm going to end up in the, the Podcast Hall of Fame for lousy naming of segments. But it's so bad that we decided to keep it now for 15 shows, so it's going to stay. But of course, those of you scoring at home know when it's time for the Jimmy's Booking segment, it's sponsored by Absolute Eyewear. That's right, Absolute Eyewear. 42 Main Street, Woodbridge, New Jersey, 732-326-3937. And someone said it really is 732-326-EYES. We'll have to double check that. If it's wrong, we'll just go by the three. It is. No, I could already do it in my head. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's 732-326-EYES. The fact that I haven't said that is really, I don't know why, Craig and Johnine, who own the place, haven't called me to say push the I thing. But I can't do it. Whenever I get the letters, they I think hours. that was more like 
when was this business constructed? Because I think this is more of a house phone thing. Okay, okay, that's true. You're right. 732-326-3937, Absolute Eyewear. Craig and Johnine Michonne, family-owned, brother and sister. They're both licensed opticians. Craig is my right center fielder. Uh, that's what he's mostly known for, uh, sadly. I mean, he's, he's good with the glasses, but he really he was a pretty good right center fielder. And he made the greatest catch in the history of Corona softball, which started in 1967. That's impressive. Um, but they're a full-service optical place. They got prescription eyewear, prescription sunglasses, non-prescription sunglasses, safety glasses, sports glasses, motorcycle glasses, all prescription glasses for the kids, contacts. They do eye exams, the whole bit. They got glasses for every budget, including mine. Um, they got discounts for seniors and uh, AAA and B at Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, and they also are offering $100 off a complete pair of prescription eyeglasses. When you mention this podcast, a complete pair, including frame and lenses. But you got to bring a little picture of me and put it on the wall. And uh, that's how we'll do it. Um, but, of course, they got all kinds of sunglasses. And this is my favorite part of the day when I get to go, ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. Now available at Absolute Eyewear, Ray-Ban, Coach, Ralph Lauren, Jimmy Choo, Silhouette, Michael Kors, Vogue, Maui Jim, and Costa Del Mar. That's my Bob Shepard of everything there. Um, I still want to do maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe a quick Jim Gordon. Ray-Ban, Coach, Ralph Lauren, looking Jimmy Choo. He's got Jimmy Choo. Silhouette, Michael Kors, Vogue, wow. Maui Jim sunglasses, Costa Del Mar. That's my shitty Jim Gordon. And next week, I promise I will do Jim Carvalis. But that's it. $100 of a complete pair of eyeglasses when you mention the show. They're open 16 years. They're good people. Go in there. They're closed on Wednesdays. They're open five days a week. They're closed Wednesdays and Sundays because um, that's when we played softball on Wednesdays. They're good people. Go and talk to Craig and Johnine. You'll love it. Absolute Eyewear sponsoring Jimmy's Bookings. Now, I've decided to change up the Jimmy's Bookings a little bit without telling my producer. I got I to gotta interject here because right now you're reminding me of the ump. Because you're wearing a blue hat a and blue a light hat. blue shirt. And the ump said uh, this week, he's a podcast listener. Okay. And he said that he was going to go in to Absolute Eyewear this and week. Yes. So, so even, now I'm curious. Even umps. Well, th- my mother goes. I mean, based on a couple of calls, Blue, you I might know, need to go check. No, I'm, I'm just joking. Ump did a no, great time job. Out. No, no, he, he totally made calls for us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, that third. So, that- again, I didn't even make the playoff roster yet. And already. Already, I'm, I'm manipulating the game. Umps are not going to call players out at third base. Like she was out by she was eight out by feet. eight feet, and he, he, I think he looked back at me he and was I was like, gave, "Save!" I gave you safe. So the ump loves <laughs> me because he's been he's been umping for 35 years in the league. So God bless America. But I decided to do something a little different, and I'm wearing my brand new 706 hat, which is part of the branding. And uh, July first, supposedly, Chop Sports Network is going to have this website where I'm going to you're going to be able to order Johnny Trino and Jimmy Palumbo show shirts and hats and whatever else. We there got might not there. be hats right away because we're working that out okay. with the with the print guy, not but, hats, but t-shirts, t-shirts for sure, one hundred percent. They're very inexpensive and they're good quality. Um, but we're going to deal with that after July first because the website's not there. Um, they've been working on the website for six months. I mean, this you know websites are new. You know, it's a new thing. It's called websites at www. It's a new thing. I don't know if you have anybody in my listeners ever heard of it, um, but it, it's true. It takes it does take seven months to get a website up. Um, 
If it, honestly, if it, I tried to do it myself, and I realized very quickly that I was should've, in way over my head. Hired a guy three months ago, and we would have been selling Johnny Trillo hats now, not hats, t-shirts. Anyway, so my booking's going to be a little different. I decided I've been doing different shows, and I think in the first couple of shows I touched on a couple of bookings, and then I've kind of done separate bookings. I'm going to go kind of in chronological order from now on. So I'm going to start kind of way back. I might have touched on some things in the first episode, but not in full detail. But some of these things I think are funny when you're first starting out in your career. Um, and the first thing we're going to do is really the first film I ever did. And it was called Shoebox Blues. I think I talked about it earlier, but I got to really talk about how pure this was. Now, my buddy Mike Rowan, or some of you guys know, directed the movie Game Day, and that's what we used to to, to sell the idea for uh, Beer League. There would have been never been a Beer League without that DVD for people to look at uh, Game Day. And this guy, this was his first directing thing. And my buddy Mike got into USC, but... They at USC like you can't touch a camera until like you're you know 45 years old. They make you do all this stuff. Where at Jersey City State College or Jersey City University, they were like, no, we got all the equipment. You come in, you can go. And my buddy, my uh, my friend was ready to go, and he decided to go there. And we for his uh, project for the first year he was there, we wrote this little uh, uh, thing about shoebox blues, and it's about. A guy who's getting married and he still has his shoebox with his baseball cards, you know, maybe a, a shot glass, uh, little things. Like love kids notes from his ex-girlfriend in high school. school. But, but mostly stuff from when you were like 13 and 12, like different, like, you know, something you got at, for the, you know, uh, when you went to Pennsylvania, Dutch country and got like a little, a little thing of like, uh, maple syrup. Maybe a little, a little, a plastic helmet that you got right. at Dairy Queen with the Yankee logo exactly on it. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, and he's also got his cards that he can, he used to flip, you know, not, not, has nothing to do with the value of baseball cards. It was having a stack of cards and you flip them and stuff. So we actually had a guy wrote a theme song, uh, don't you wish you could turn back the clock when you got the shoebox blues? And it was a cute little story about me. I played the lead, and there's another kid who I can't think of his name. I think his name was John. It was so long ago, 1988 or 89. And we shot it on like a $5 budget, but with like 16 millimeter film and stuff. It was pretty cool. And it's all about me feeling it like, hey, I'm getting married now, and like no more of this, like, you know, this is like, this is like, a, I got to be Shoebox blues is like cold feet. Exactly right. And he keeps on, but he sees a kid l- playing with his shoebox outside of his restaurant that he owns. And um, he ends up going out to him and he actually finds, he goes home, he finds his shoebox and he ends up talking to the kid uh, like, hey man, I got this. And the kid's looking at him kind of like, all right. Like meanwhile, they're both going through cards and stuff like that. And I'm telling him how I, I got Pete Rose rookie year by flipping for it. Of course, the kid's just staring at him. But um it was really cool, well done. But the cool thing about it was we get done with it and he's editing it and all that stuff. And we had to go to the, the Colonial High School. My my the principal at Colonial High School at the time, Ken Kuchak, good buddy of mine, he was actually in it. He played an umpire. Um and uh, he was in game day, I mean, as well later on. His son is in job sports, Christian. Yeah. He's gonna Christian, blog. He's writing a blog. Uh, what I meant to say is Kenny was actually the umpire in game day, but he actually got for us um one of those big screens that they use in like the cafeteria when they want to show something. We had, we, everybody was single at the time. I was only, th- what was I, 20, 27, 28. We had a huge backyard party. Okay, I'm talking about a mammoth 
party in the backyard. We put the screen up. We actually got one of those high school projectors. Um, we invited, it was maybe 60, 70 people there. Uh, speaker set up. It was, it was, it was like cinema magic because I, neither one of us knew how well it was going to turn out. I've never seen myself like on a screen like that. Mike had never really directed anything except for some little shorts that back then there was no internet. Nobody could yeah, see it. It wasn't anyone. like now where everyone's and directing had, their own life. It was life. actually on a real, you know, the whole net nine yards. We got a couple of kegs and it was awesome. There was girls there. We had a blast and we put out flyers about it and the whole backyard. And the crazy thing was when we st- we waited till it was dark, you know, so everybody's in the backyard. People had chairs and stuff, and I there's definitely about a hundred people in the backyard. And we turned the projector on, and everybody got like quiet. And this was like everybody was like young and single, like you know, you thought to be some jerk offs in the backyard, but like everybody got quiet. And it was about I think it was twenty three minutes long. I could be wrong on that. Maybe it was shorter, but at least twenty minutes about. And I remember sitting in the back with my buddy Mike, and I was like, it was like, there I was, like, on the screen. Um, it wasn't the most perfect movie in the world, but for a guy's first time out, if never directing, like, a whole film, it, was, it totally worked. Matter of fact, my father, to this day, before he passed away, what do we say? That movie you guys did in the backyard, that was the best thing you guys ever did. He loved it. Because um, it was a fun event, and when he got done, people were, like, blown away. They were, like, high-fiving my buddy Mike, high-fiving me, but mostly Mike, because he, he wrote most of it, and he directed most of it. And... So even though it wasn't a booking, I was like going to be casting it. It really was one of the coolest things that anybody from Colonial remembers that will say. That was a cool night because I was saying to myself, matter of fact, I invited some girls there. We had about 10 girls. I was working in Princeton backyard? At the time. My buddy Mike's backyard in Colonial. I'll say 100 people. I'm trying to think of a backyard in Colonial that's not by the high school. No, it was <laughs> by, uh, yeah. by Off-Burdine Court behind right. the First Bank of Colonial, which is funny. Uh, it's not called the First Bank of Colonial anymore, but that's what people call it. Um, but I invited a bunch of girls there who I was working with, and I said to myself, like, how many times you get invited to a backyard party to see a film with the guy who's invited you to the party. Like, it was a cool thing to do. And I think people were blown away by, like, I can't believe I watched the movie for 20 minutes. And then, of course, we partied our, you know, till wee hours of the morn. But uh, it was really cool. So that was Shoebox Blues. Matter of fact, I got a sweatshirt printed up. It says Shoebox Blues, a really good thick sweatshirt. And I still have it. It's all, like, beat up a little bit, but I can, I'll never throw that out. Um, that was, like, my first little taste of showbiz, if you want to say. The other thing was... And this has an Artie Lang reference in it. Um, I auditioned. There was a big nightclub uh, in Plainfield, New Jersey called The Clubhouse, which I know a lot of listeners who are a little bit, you know, maybe over 40 will get. And um, they, uh, I, there was an ad every every Thursday. There would be, a, a, it was called Curtain Call, I think. And they'd have ads in the Star-Ledger for where you could audition for community theater stuff. And there was an audition for this dinner theater show murder mystery and i answered the ad and you had to go to the clubhouse the club itself so i went there by myself and i had to audition and i met this guy murphy grimes who's also a fan of the show who played semi-pro baseball or might even some minor league baseball really he was a pitcher a uh, crazy guy and a comedian as well but he, you know he had packed it in and moved on with his life he was in it it was one of those things where you do you serve the food as well so the the waitresses are part of the cast and it was called a murderous crossing, and back then they they were like like Tony and Tina's wedding. Yeah, but poor man's was murder mystery, yeah, yeah. and the whole thing was people would bring notepads and try to guess the mystery. But this one was so lousy. But we we did it a bunch of times, 
and I, you made you got paid like $150 to do it, and then you made tips because you served the food. But I had to play a uh, – first I played like a guy, a blue – it was on a ship. It took place on a ship. And first I play a regular guy, and then I get murdered. I get shot. And I'll tell something funny about that in a second. And then I come in the second half, and I'm like, you know, Mondu, Miss Hastings. I am Inspector, you know. And I would I played this horrific. It was like I went in and out of my. It was a half French accent, half British. It was horrific, but we did about four or five shows. It was fun to do, and I was making de- decent money. And then <laughs> it got, um, it got. Uh, uh, we got. I actually got Artie Lang involved, and my and Deej, who played third base in beer league. Once Artie Lang got involved, it became like a. A whole different show. And, you know, I know you guys know how Artie from, like, Howard Stern and Mad TV, but Artie was classic in this. He played a drunk priest. And what happened was when I get shot in the beginning of it, Artie had to, had to drag me off. And he hated dragging me off because he didn't want to get the fake blood on me. So he would whisper stuff to me, like, you know, he would whisper something like, oh, like kind of a getting involved kind of thing. Oh, my God, this is so, you know, uncomfortable. And he would he, he never dragged me off properly. I had to, like, use my own feet. But one time we forgot to bring the blood, so I had to use ketchup. And I remember Artie, like, Artie was always clean, so, like, ketchup all over the place. He hated the ketchup. It was, it literally was absolutely crazy. And Artie was so funny. We would walk around and improv with the, in character. And Artie was so funny. And we would just go around and bust balls on each table. And that's what people liked. But there were some people who had notepads out and were trying to solve the mystery. But the plot made no sense. Artie and I would change. We would say lines that were plot points and not say them or say them differently. Which, which <laughs> It was like a mess. But people like, they were like lousily. It was like white trash, fun entertainment. Like playing Clue. Yeah, right. It was, it was it was like, and the food was like bad chicken cordon bleu with a bad salad and a plastic cup. It was horrible. But one show, we had 275 people. We actually had to serve the food. Um, but after a while, the show went from like 275 people to 100 people to 50 people. And one of the last shows- It's like we, the podcast. Well, right, yeah, it's, like, it's like my <laughs> podcast. The numbers are dwindling here. <laughs> the last show we did, you know, the phrase, the show must go on, it's not true. And I'll tell you why. The show started out with six people. And I told the producer, you know what? We can't do this show with one table. Like, just cancel it. Give them their money back. Say whatever. I think it was like a um, some event was going on. I forget what it was. We shouldn't have had the the thing. She's like, no, I, they paid $100. I need their money, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So I said, no, I, I don't want to get paid. I just want to go home. So they ended up doing a scene where there was whipped cream. And by this point, some of the people were getting high. Not already, of all people. And they splashed whipped cream like all over these older people on their jackets. It was like, it was a nightmare. It was a matinee show on a Sunday. And um, so at the half, they left. There's no one in the audience. So now we're in this like corporate room of a hotel. There's no audience there. I was so angry at the producer. She's like, all right, I'll see you guys later. I said, no, no, we're doing the show. Everyone's like, come on, Jim. I said, no, 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 no. You didn't listen to me. I told you to cancel the show when you could have an hour before the show, 45 minutes. You elected to do the show. We're doing this show. And we, so, of course, Artie was all over that. Like, yeah, we're going to do this. We went out and did the show with no one in the room for only about 15 minutes until, you know, I made my point. Then we just all walked away. So the show ended, like, with no audience. Um, 
But I learned how to do like a little dinner theater action, interact with the audience, your bus balls, how to serve food. Uh, people were asking for like extra, extra, uh, you know, ranch dressing. You had to go back to the kitchen. Uh, it was just so awful. But I got, it was my first time really working with Artie. Um, and he was just so funny. And I mean, he would, what I would try to do is I always tried to just to make Artie laugh. Because Artie was always making everybody laugh, including me. So I said to myself, I'm not going to try to make the audience laugh. I'm just going to try to make Artie laugh by saying something ridiculous uh, or like uh, use a reference, you know, do a Roy, a Roy White reference or Horace Clark or, you know, a Greg Nettles or some some picture from the 80s or something just to get him. Like, And he would look at me and literally like, how dare you say that? That's hysterical what you just said, but only for like four people and they're not here. That This is a paying <laughs> audience. You're doing jokes that no one gets, but I think are brilliant. And so he would giggle. And then, of course, we would go out and drink ourselves to death uh, and get home. No matter what time, we always we were the last people to leave. There was a bar usually at the hotel. So we would like literally make $150, and our bar tab was 150 so it was like a break-even night. But that was Murderous Crossing with Artie Lang and Michael Deej. What about your, your, your death scene? Uh, my, well, my death scene had to be, like I said, the guy, Murphy Grimes, showed up with a fake gun. It was like a cap thing. So, But the producer, she was like a cokehead. She always screwed up. She didn't bring the blood. She didn't bring any of that stuff. So what happened was he shows up one time with a real gun, like a gun with a blank. And I'm like, dude, nah. I'm like, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You know what a gun look? I've worked with fake guns for you know, but this was like, I was like, dude. He goes, no, no, dude, I got it in. I'm like, dude, what do you mean? I don't trust you. You live in like Jersey City. You're bringing a real gun with yeah, a cap. That's how like, Bruce Lee's son died, exactly right? Exactly right. So I, this was this might have been before the crow. Uh, maybe around the same time. He's like, no. So we're outside of the hotel, and he's shooting the gun off. I'm thinking, like, is this register? This is this is how you get arrested. If a cop comes, you should be. No, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. The noise of the gun was so loud that people were like, ah, people were shrieking and stuff. I was like, oh, my God. Then, of course, the next week he didn't bring it, and that's when the lady had to go to the ketchup. And you don't realize you think ketchup looks good on a white shirt. No, it's orange. It's not. You blue. know what it looks yeah. like? It looks like you have ketchup on your shirt. Yeah, and that's all. Yeah. So I remember I splashed it on my shirt when I go back, and you realize I'm dead, and um, and my wig kind of I had a wig on. It kind of fell off, and already had to drag me off. And already hates the smell of ketchup. So I'm like he's dragging me off stage, going, "Oh, this is gross." Blah blah blah. But people wrote down. He said, "Oh, this is gross." Like people thought everything we said was clues. Meanwhile, I was just talking to Hardy like this sucks, uh, and he had to always drag me off stage. He never pulled me all the way backstage like my feet would be hanging out i'm like come on art you fat bastard bring me all the way in so that is my dinner theater show it ended in horror we did it all over somerset east brunswick that stupid ferry that used to be off weehawken that they finally i think sunk it or they uh, took it apart it's supposed to be a big restaurant but uh we did some awful shows and one time Artie, there was a, another party going on in the room and they were being loud and they couldn't hear us. So Artie, forgetting that he's playing a drunk Pete, had a bottle of vodka that we still, to this day, I don't know if there was real vodka or not. It probably was. So picture Artie as a priest going into a room with a bottle of vodka telling people to quiet down, forgetting that they didn't know a dinner theater show was going on. So one guy was like, whoa, easy, father, uh, father, uh, you know, are you okay? He's like, no, we're doing a show. And it didn't go over well. And they were screaming at us like the Big, like, Italian family told us, go scratch our ass. Um, so after that, Artie never, like, no one can hear us. It was so horrible. 
But that was one of my big Showbiz Road dinner theater shows. And that was back eh, probably 80, 89, 90. So that was the beginning of Jimmy Palumbo's um, career there. And uh, after that, Artie and I, uh, we decided to start driving into the city. And uh, we did that for a couple of years. And that eventually led to live on tape and uh, Mad TV. But that's for another story for another day. All right. That's my Jimmy booking segment. Now it's time for our second time in a row, Warren Brumell, attorney at law, our sponsor. And the good thing about Warren Brumell is, okay, he's an attorney at law, and he is a debt relief, debt relief agency that helps people file for relief under the bankruptcy code. Now I had to say that last line because that's the legal ease, you have to say that. But Warren's been doing this for like 35 years, okay? And he helps people rebuild their financial lives. Uh, he's located in Keyport, New Jersey, but he handles all of New Jersey, and it's all Zoom now. Everything's Zoomed, he can Zoom you in, blah, blah, blah. And if you mention our show, you get a free, that's right, a free initial consultation here when you mentioned the Jimmy Palumbo show um, and Warren like I said he's been doing this for 35 years and he's he's literally he's, he's processed and filed over 10,000 bankruptcy cases okay uh, great guy and um, uh, he is now a advertiser on our show but he also does the good thing his firm they now they only handle bankruptcies okay he's not a jack-of-all-trades lawyer who'll be doing a divorce one minute and next minute he's doing a personal personal injury case although I could have used every one of these then. All, all these jack-of-all-trades I could have used. Um, funny thing is, I probably will end up using Warren uh, bankruptcy, um, maybe Chris and Dave. <laughs> Everybody's gonna, Eventually, everyone needs Warren when you file for bankruptcy. Um, but he makes the process simple and affordable. He's got payment plans. Uh, the number is 732-264-3400, or more importantly, www keyportlaw.com you go on that website they got everything there stuff to fill out stuff to inquire and all that kind of stuff now listen um the the bottom line is bankruptcy will stop foreclosures repossessions wage garnishments bank levies all that kind of stuff and uh that's what that's what Warren does. He gives you advice on all of that. You can go check out his five-star reviews on Google, or better yet, you can go to avvo.com, the lawyer review site. I'm sure there's some really funny ones on there because sometimes lawyers, uh, they take a beating, and I'm sure on that review site. But he's got tons of five-star reviews. Um, I only wrote 12 of them. No, that's not true. He's got tons of good five-star reviews on there. And uh, like I said, uh Warren Brumell, uh, keyportlaw.com. That's where you want to go for all your bankruptcy needs. That's all he does. That's what he does. All righty. All right. So it's the day after Father's Day, and um, I had a nice Father's Day. I was with my daughter and uh, with her all weekend, actually. We um, we went to a, uh, one of these water park things when you have those obstacle courses. I tried to do it once, beat the hell out of me up at Darlington Park in Bergen County. But, um, yeah, Father's Day is always special. Number one, I absolutely, you know, being a father is by far the coolest thing I've ever done. The best booking uh, is my uh, my daughter, Natalie. Um, but, you know, I still miss my, you know, miss my dad. Like, it's weird when you don't have a father and it's Father's Day. 
when you when you a lot of people don't have fathers, but I, I went a long time with a father, and uh, maybe it doesn't sound right, but you know when I listen, I had my dad lived to be eighty six years old, and you know uh, we still married to my mom at the end, and blah blah blah. So, uh, but every Father's Day, you really like think like, wow, like I don't I don't have a father to celebrate my Father's Day, so you kind of celebrate it through your kids because they have a father. Um, and uh, but I was able to on the way down here, which is the reason why I was late. I met my sister, my mother, uh, my father's grave. Uh, he was he was buried next to his twin brother, um, about ten feet away. But my mother hated the location, and she actually, against the wishes of the family, my mother moved. My dad, she just wanted something nicer and, <coughs> and permanent, and she moved to a different section of St. Gertrude's, and uh, we were so against it. And I was like, Ma, what are you doing? Like uh, uh, moving the uh, casket and all that. But you know what? She did it, and it came out awesome. She has two benches. One will be one is his bench. One is the another bench. You can actually sit in front of the, um, the gravestone, and on the engraved on the bench were all little things about my dad: is Korean War stuff, baseball, skiing, all the things that my dad liked are all on the bench. And my mother's bench is empty. And a hundred years from now, when she passes away, we'll put stuff there. But. Um, uh, it does say uh, at, the, at the bottom of it, uh, I'm probably blowing the line now, uh, come sit and have a cup of coffee with me. And so me and my sister decided we couldn't make it yesterday to the grave. We wanted to go. It just didn't work out. Um, I met her there today. And the two of us just sat there and I sat on my mother's bench and she sat on my father's bench. And we were just staring at it. And then we both had coffee. And me and my sister sat and talked for like 25 minutes. And it was really nice because we were, we talked about my father for a little bit, you know, of course. Uh, but it was like, oh my gosh, my mother was right. You could actually sit with a sibling. Uh, maybe someday I'll sit with my daughter there or whomever. And we were just talking about life stuff as well as like how beautiful it is and, you know, uh, stuff about my father just sitting there, you know, he would have got a huge kick out of it. Um, and I was even telling my sister while we're sitting there, there's a, a, a site on Facebook called the Lou Gehrig, Lou Gehrig fan page or something like that. And my dad was a huge Gehrig fan. He had everything on him, books and all that stuff. But this Facebook page is phenomenal. Like the whole world is sending in photographs that I've never seen. And believe you me, my father showed us every picture that was around of Lou Gehrig. Um, and, but this, because it's great you know, the world with the the WWW part of it, there's pictures of there, like his passport, death certificate, photos that were like candid photos that somebody probably had from their grandfather. Uh, it was really incredible. And I actually have a Lou Gehrig bat from the Japan tour that I'm going to actually post on there so you find out how much it's worth. But we were just sitting there chatting. So that was, even though it was a day later, it was actually a very nice Father's Day moment. So all you people out there, I would say if you do have a father and he's still alive, give him a hug. Tell them you love them, um, because someday when they're not there, it uh, it really it really sucks. And I'm happy to still have my mother. And uh, but happy Father's Day to all the new fathers. Happy Father's Day to, uh, uh, of course, uh, Dave Sturcio here, um, and his, uh, his his baby girl who's adorable. And a happy Father's Day to Chris Gucci behind the glass, his father. Um, and uh, he comes to the softball games, and he thinks we stink too. And uh, so that's it, everybody. Happy Father's Day. That concludes shot number 15, Jeff Hostadler Show. Fires over the middle of the first down. Anyway, that's it. Show 15 in the books. See you next week.